Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Nerd Cultural Podcast. My name is David and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. Hey, hey. Luke. Yay. And Crystal. Hello. Normally I'd be your host for the episode, but unfortunately I am very sick, as you can probably tell from the sound of my voice, and uh, I'm unable to perform my usual duties. But the show must go on, and young Richo will be handling host duties today. That's right, culturalites. Do not adjust your media players. I control the horizontal and the vertical. But strangely, <laughs> strangely enough, not the diagonal. <laughs> to quote Monty Python, now everyone, run away! <laughs> um, so obviously no one can question my dedication to Sparkle Motion or Nerd Culture Podcast. I wouldn't question your dedication to Sparkle Motion anyway. Especially since you're putting me in charge. <laughs> Soon I would control the world. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, for those of you who are new to the show... Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture-related films, books and comic reviews, with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have the podcast, but we also have our website, www.nerdculturepodcast.com, which features additional content not found on the podcast itself. That's right, that's where all the good stuff is, guys. And uh, this is our first episode of 2012, so Happy New Year, everybody. It's good to be back. Uh, we apologise for the week break that we had, um, but, you know, it's New Year's and, uh, you know, everyone was drunk. <laughs> and now we're sick. Yeah, and now they're sick because of it, but uh, what could you do? Yeah, Crystal is also sick. It was that vodka shot competition that did it to them, guys. <laughs> yeah, so we'd like to welcome... Young Luke back. He's obviously uh, been missing action for the last couple of shows, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll understand that Luke wasn't there because there wasn't somebody sitting there all the time going, "You're just wrong. You're yeah. just wrong." Yeah, but you took over for him, so that was okay. That's true. I tried to fill in as best <laughs> I could. It wasn't quite the same. My decoy worked. We <laughs> <laughs> should just got like an inflatable Luke just as prop up in the corner. <laughs> with a recorder, Luke. With the a fact reco- that you have an inflatable <laughs> Luke is a worry to begin with. Coming soon to the New Culture with Podcast recorder, with, uh, website. With a recorder <laughs> at the back that you can press for your favourite sayings. Yeah. Greetings, you're wrong. Greetings, yeah. you're wrong. Yeah, he really only contributes two sayings to the show, so we didn't really miss him that much. But he's back now, so welcome back, Luke. I feel sorry for the pirates. <laughs> uh, it's good to have you back yet, Luke. Although we did have... Uh, a great feeling in the last episode, Mr. Jason Franks, our Absolutely. special guest for that episode, he did a great job, so if you're listening Jason, and you better be, <laughs> good job. <laughs> yes, That's what you want to do, joining us. threaten the guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't, we don't need to threaten him because we brainwashed him. <laughs> He's listening, I know. <laughs> he loves us. And talk about Jason, uh, in one of our past episodes we had uh, an interview with Mr. Fred Van Lente. We did indeed. writer for uh, Marvel Zombies and... Asher philosophers and various other golden stuff and Herc and stuff like that and uh, he recently tweeted uh, that he's top five comics for 2011 and one of them just happened to be Meet the Six Miss by Mr. Jason Franks so in the top five for Mr. Fred Valente so get one time guest of the show uh, likes the work of uh, fan of the show Mr. Jason Franks. It's impressive stuff, no doubt it's about it. It's very impressive, and congratulations to Jason, and uh, thank you, Fred, for having good taste. And uh, Absolutely. It's refreshing to see that uh, comic superstar, you know, Fred Valente, is, you know, agrees with Crystal and I, and, uh, and, you know, and it seems to be quite a lot of other people in their impressions of Six Miss, because it's great stuff. And, that's because uh, our opinions are the best. That's right, our Absolutely. opinions matter the most. So uh, get out there, purchase Six Miss, check it out, it's good stuff. 
Now if we could just convince other Marvel writers to do the same. Yeah, the <laughs> magic might be better. Well, hopefully now that means Jason can then, you know, start writing for Marvel. It'll do a better job than most of the Marvel writers at the moment. Oh, yes. And now that we've alienated one of the two biggest comic companies in the world... I did say most. I didn't say all. I mean, there's still good people there. I mean, Rick Remender on Uncanny X-Files is kicking goals. Yeah, that DC... We'll just never give it to them as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, DC, you All suck. comic companies suck. <laughs> that's right. We're equal opportunity here at Nerd Culture Podcast. No, they don't. What about Image? Image is going strong. Image in 2011, they were awesome. They were indeed. Uh, we'll get to that. But we shall get to that. In our war room. Speaking of our war room, let's discuss this episode. First of all, we'll be giving you a popcorn junkie, where we'll be reviewing Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. And then uh, for our war room this week, we'll be doing the best of nerd culture in 2011. Yeah, our picks for 2011. The stuff that we thought you should be watching and reading and perhaps even listening to. So up first, it's Popcorn Junkie. Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows is Guy Ritchie's follow-up to the Sherlock Holmes, very successful Sherlock Holmes movie of 2009. Stars Robert Downey Jr. as Holmes, Jude Law as Watson, Rachel McAdams very briefly as Irene Adler, Jared Harris as Professor Moriarty, as well as Stephen Fry playing Mycroft Holmes, as well as Numi Rapace as Madame Sinzaheron. In her American film debut. You might remember her from the Millennium films. Game of Shadows deals with um, Sherlock Holmes and uh, his confrontation with his arch-nemesis, Professor Moriarty. Uh, Moriarty is attempting to uh, create a world war uh, about 20 years before the actual First World War started. And obviously it's up to Holmes and Watson to stop him. Unfortunately... The massive confrontation between these two arch nemeses, which should be one of the finest moments of the film, actually isn't. But we'll get to that. But we'll get to that. <laughs> so, what did we think? Well, I'll, I'll be brief because I, it really hurts to talk. But uh, about I, this film, certainly. I, I think. Um, well, yes, it hurts me to talk about this film. <laughs> I think the main the main problem with this film is it's just really boring. I mean, it's just a, a lot. A lot is thrown at you. And none of it's interesting, mm. and it's and it's kind of like it's, it's it's a visual bombardment for for no real reason. And mm. It just it just doesn't really have a reason to to exist. It's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the style over substance. Style over substance. Um, that's what thing. I'm trying the to think. The guy about, Richie yeah. is famous the, for. It's the guy Richie thing, it's, and it's and it's a shame because it tries to it takes some classic moments from the stories, mm. um, which we all, I'm pretty safe to say we all here think they're genius, yep. and. Uh, Inserts the, these these very short little pieces of, of genius into uh, 
this overblown <laughs> extravaganza that just really doesn't make much sense and mm. it's, 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 it's kind of disappointing, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's unfortunate that the best parts in the script are actually the parts directly taken directly from the novel taken. itself. It's yeah. like word, almost word for word scripted from the yeah. novel. Unfortunately, the script writers couldn't match Conan Doyle during the rest of the film, so these <laughs> wonderful scenes hmm. actually seem a little bit out of place given the dialogue that the characters have to deliver for the rest I of the I think it's pretty easy to say that it's even people who hadn't read the stories would be a few if you told them alright now there's bits from the books here there's scenes taken directly from the books in this film I want you yeah. to pick out which scenes they are I'm sure you're safe to say they'd be able to do it because they stick out like a sore thumb I think it's, yeah. I mean I've read the books many moons ago and I haven't got the best memory in the world and even I could sit there and there's that's mm. the bit for the book. That's the bit for the book. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And then, like you said, that you know the, the the final confrontation, even though it's from the book, still manages to wreck it. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> the final confrontation isn't given that the way that they. Do yeah, it's not exactly which the same. I actually don't like the way that they no. did it. It was just no. it was anyway. that was self It was pretentious and self serving, and yeah. was trying to show how clever, not the characters, but the filmmakers and the scriptwriters were, as opposed yeah. to you know having an ingrained, highly climactic final struggle between Holmes and Moriarty yeah. it's sort of just eh we're just really clever and that's 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 what it's maxed off also so, by the time you get to that point that they've used that particular technique so many times it's just, it's just I, lost I don't it. need to yeah. see You're it right. anymore yeah yeah, yeah. It's just, I, mean, not, I think the main problem with it is that Sherlock Holmes is a detective and he does no detecting yeah. well there's None. no real there's no real mystery in this there's film no mystery of any kind you're told at the very start of the film yeah. that Moriarty is the bad guy you're told that Moriarty is the Napoleon of crime, yeah. which is a great uh, term to use, but we don't really actually see Moriarty doing all that much to justify why he's the Napoleon of crime. And um, you don't, you never find out what his motive is for wanting to create a world war. I mean, it just it, the oh, implication it, is money yeah, and power. Money. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. You're right. There's no real great motivation behind. You know, there's other ways to gain money and power. Absolutely. In fact, he already has money and power. Well, so that's that's, that, that's a very good point you brought up. I and mean, he, how easily does he gain all the money and power that he has? Yeah. And then he's like, oh, well, I want more, so I'll start a world war. It's like I'll start a world war just to get yeah. more money. But just for just, for a supposed criminal genius. For a supposed criminal genius, it's a pretty simple plan that it's he has, too. It's like, simple. I'll place some bombs here, place some bombs there, some countries will go at one another, and then I'll reap the benefits. It's really, yeah, there's not much to it. And that's always, that actually seems to be um, a bit beside the point for Moriarty's character. Um, I've always seen him, in the, in, the, in the short story, seen him as a direct reflection of Holmes himself. You know, Holmes mm-hmm. gets it. Holmes, whilst he has a, sense of, a strong sense of justice needing to be done, does what he does for the challenge of it. Hmm. And I've always seen Moriarty as doing the same thing. He does what he does for the challenge of it. Yeah, and just, he just doesn't have the same moral fibre. No, he doesn't have the same moral fibre, but starting a war is actually quite easy. There's no yeah. challenge in starting a war. And so Moriarty, if that's Moriarty's goal, then it actually seems to be beside the point for who he is in Conan Doyle's hmm. uh, creation. You know, He's not a James Bond villain at all. Yeah, they really do, unfortunately, botch the Holmes Moriarty relationship. Mm. There's also a third. Well, there's no, there's no, there's no time for the Holmes Moriarty relationship because there's too much man love going on between um, <laughs> Holmes and Watson. It's like, it's, mm. it's over the top. Mm. This it, actually... was, it was possible in the first film because yeah. they'd actually established they actually they had struck that balance between um, you know friendship and friendship and partnership and partnership. Yeah. Whereas now it's and... more de- de- it's just dependency. Mm. 
Well, like, get over it, dude. Yeah. And most of it seems to be done for comic relief mm. more than anything else. It doesn't really serve the story in any way. It's just very slightly veiled sort of... St- it's like... It's not... There's only so much bromance you can take. There's um, actually a third relationship that I think could have tied into this as well, which is the relationship between Holmes and Mycroft. Mycroft has always been presented as actually Holmes's intellectual equal. Mm. Um, but he's just too lazy to go out and actually, you know, do the kind of work that Holmes does. He's lazy. He just he just he just can't be bothered. Yeah. He just, he's, he's, he's got he's more into, he's more interested in pursuing the pleasures of life. Exactly right. Michael has always been more interested in sitting at, in the diet in his club, eating cream buns and reading the newspaper and watching the world go by, and occasionally running the British government, as opposed to he's going out and his doing comfort it. zone. Yeah, exactly, and. Uh, to be fair to this film, probably the only truly inspired thing they did was the casting of Stephen Fryer as Mycroft. Just a fantastic casting choice. I just really wish they'd given him a little bit more to go with. I do, I do have to point out that uh, Stephen Fry tweeted an apology that he appeared naked in the film. Yeah, if, yeah. You, if you've ever wanted a bit of nude Stephen Fry action, this is the film for you. No, well, they, gave, they gave as much as they could, really could, really. I mean, it's... it's I mean, yeah, they could have given him more, but yeah. really. But, well, I, I think mean, they could have presented. What more did you really need to see? I well, mean, I think I think they could have been. I think they could have been a little bit cleverer in presenting uh, the key relationships in the film. They could have shown the um, you know the Holmes Moriarty relationship in a more interesting way, mm. because Moriarty is Holmes' equal, and then sort of contrast that with the relationship with uh, Holmes and Mycroft, who is also Holmes's intellectual equal, and just show the three different. Type, you know, they're, they're basically all equal with one another intellectually, but how they use that intellect is very different. And I think that there was a really good opportunity in the film here to show those that relationship and those three contrasting approaches. I really wanted a scene between Mycroft and Moriarty. Yeah, well, that would have been interesting. Mm. There's two confrontations between Holmes and Moriarty in the film. The final confrontation at uh, Reichenbach Falls... But there's also an earlier scene in Moriarty's office, and this is the first time that Holmes and Moriarty are actually meeting face to face to talk, and it's a good scene. Once it again, it's the scene that's pretty much most of the dialogue is uh, you know derived directly from um, the final problem short story, and I thought at that moment that maybe we were going to see this cat and mouse game between these two geniuses, but it just never really happened. Like. The story then just continued on its own, sort of plodding, mm. plodding pace. There is, yeah, the second confrontation. They play chess with one another. Um, See what they did there. I saw what they oh, did there. It was so subtle. Actually, it's the third confrontation. But there's really nothing to that scene. It's he, he captures him and then it was worth skipping. Sort of strings him up a bit. But once again, there's no great cat and mouse in that. It's hey, you've been captured. Let's do some horrible things to you. Oh no, you've escaped. Yeah, nothing really. It's it's a very instantly forgettable scene in the film I think I agree and uh, yeah then there's this final scene at Reichenbeck Falls they play chess and then we get another one of those reenacted let's think the fight out and show it all in super slow motion as I said before we've seen so many times by this point mm. on the one hand it was interesting that they were both doing it it sort of showed they're both of an equal intellect but it's still, by the time you've seen it mm. half a dozen times it's You you could have had a clever, perhaps even subtle confrontation between these two super geniuses 
these two, you know, uh, master analysts, uh, in, more, in both oh. cases, really master manipulators in some mm. respects. And instead it's, hmm, we'll pretend that we have a fight and we'll do it in slow motion and then we'll fall off. And they don't, it's just, they're, like, they're thinking it. But then he says two Capone escapes. So what, they can read each other's minds mm. now? Well, it seems to be the case. Apparently... Mm. You think, you think you're think you the only person who can do this. Yeah. yeah. Apparently Holmes or Moriarty, or perhaps both, are telepathic. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you mentioned the slow motion, because that brings me to what I think is actually the worst scene in the film. It's when they're escaping from the artillery factory, running through the forest. It just goes on... I, I seriously, it goes on for at least four minutes. It's Zack so Snyder slow motion it's, levels. It's, it's a it's sucker punch level of crap, and it's just with a bit of Wachowski brothers thrown in for good. Yeah, yeah. Now, and actually, now I, I'm not exaggerating. Now, I, most of this film, it's actually, it's, it's it's quite telling that about an hour in, we all thought it was being about two hours. Yeah. That maybe we were watching this film, but this film, this scene, I actually went seriously. It goes for about, almost four minutes. It felt like it's, half an hour. It feels like half an hour. It's all in slow motion with that odd sort of sort of jittery sort of slow normal slow normal it's just yeah, it's speed up a little bit to spin around and then yeah. slow down again and it's the exact same it's just people running through a forest trying to escape and trying not to get shot so and with, would, the, with the same trees <laughs> because they're exploding over and over and over it again. would look cool if it was a music video but <laughs> this just sort of stalled the story and it's, slowed the whole thing yeah. it just it stops it stops the movie yeah. dead Mm. And, and it's, it's meant to not do, exciting in any way. It's unfortunate that that technique, and it's a very common technique these days, it's meant to make you feel the situation and feel just how dangerous it is by showing you these slow motion trees blowing up and things like that. Mm. But I actually think it has the opposite effect. I think it actually takes you out of the it takes scene. right out. And it, it removes the immediacy of, if the scene had been shown at just the regular speed... There would be an immediacy to it. You would actually feel the danger. You would see them running, and you would you, you would be anxious. Instead, it's like we'll slow it in slow motion for you, and it's sort of like, well, you know, all I'm seeing is trees getting blown up, so I don't really feel that these yeah. characters are in any danger. Someone someone dodging a slow motion bullet to me doesn't seem all that ex. All no, that it says I can like, dodge a bullet. Well, if, yeah, I can dodge a bullet. <laughs> It's the technique you use for for when you're watching cricket to slow down the ball to see if it's actually he's actually snicked it or not. Is That's it, actually a good it's, point. It's not. It's the analysis approach to it's, things. It's like, it, well, it's let's see. Sport. The bullet appears to be just whizzing past him. I think it's yes. It's exactly four centimeters away from him, folks. It is a terrible, terrible sequence. And at that point, I was like, no, nah, I don't want to watch this movie anymore. But see, the funny thing is that the film actually climaxes at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're going, okay, where can this possibly go? And then you've got um, all the stuff in the on Reichenbach yeah. after that. And it's kind of like, well... It, Everybody this, knows what's got to happen everyone, in everyone knows what's Everyone knows what's got to happen, but the film actually stops. As you said, the film yeah. stops, it climaxes um, during that chase. And what's, yeah. what's funny is that during that sequence, they get annihilated. I mean, mm. they've got blood all over them. They're badly wounded. Sherlock's almost dead. Mm. And then they've got a Riker Buck. Nobody says anything. They're at this ball, this gala ball. Yeah. <laughs> covered Watson's, in bruises Watson's and injuries. covered in scratches That's and the stuff. Thing I was gonna point nobody, out. nobody points anything out. <laughs> at, at the ball, but they're all dancing and it's all fine and, and posh and everything. And, and, and Sherlock and... and 
watch them decide to have a little dance and nobody blinks an eye. This is back in the late 1800s. Sure, everybody else is, have a dance. Everybody else is dancing, men, man and lady, but two men have a dance and nobody's raised an eyebrow. Yeah. Is Guy Richie Sherlock Holmes is more like Bugs Bunny than anything else. <laughs> well, that, He's that, the that Bugs actually, Bunny of the That brings up my, uh, really my biggest problem with Guy Ritchie's depiction of Sherlock Holmes overall. You know, for a genius, analytical mind, um, he takes it really beyond quirkiness. Holmes is often a bumbling fool yeah. in these movies. Yeah, it's and like, he's never that in the stories. And it's interesting no. that a couple of us have called him Sherlock at points when nobody ever called him that in the in their books. Yes. Well, he gets called Shirley by uh, <laughs> Mycroft in this. But... And it's really brilliant, because I know a couple of um, others who saw... The first Sherlock Holmes were confused because they thought that Watson was smarter mm. than Holmes. Yeah. And it's sort of hard to, judging by these two films, it's sort of hard to knock that because Watson actually does come across as more. Um, well, I don't think well, Watson is smart, he's just more intellectually smart, he's just rational. Yeah. They focus too much on the quirkiness mm. and eccentricity of Holmes. And when they do get to show you the keen analytical mind, mm. It's kind of too much of a contrast between the two depictions that the analytical side of it actually seems a little bit out of place Mm -hmm. in amongst this sort of quirky, bumbling... And it's more like revealing how a magician does a trick than... than... Exactly right, than actually analysing. Now, on the head, magician does a trick. One other scene that annoyed the crap out of me is when he sets it up on the train so that... you know, through a sequence of events that they manage to escape sort of stuff. The fact that he actually says to Watson... Oh, that was no accident. I set that up. Yeah. It's like, uh, of course you set it up. You should look That's what you're meant to do. You don't need yeah. to say it. It's, it's like, that broadcasting to the audience. You do it. Yeah, just, just in oh. case you didn't understand what all those scenes were before this, Holmes set it up. Lost a point it's, because of that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's dumbing down Sherlock Holmes for, I don't know, an audience of... And not even the natural charisma of Robert Downey Jr. can pull it off. I mean, no. I mean, the man's a legend. I'm a big fan of Robert Downey Jr. And uh, I'm glad that he's, he's come back as being as huge as it has. Yeah. And uh, I'm, he's all for it. I mean, he was the perfect Tony Stark. And he's great. I mean, he's, he's, he's always awesome. But but the character is just... Yeah, he makes the most of what he's given. And he certainly dominates the screen when he's on it. Yeah. But what they give him is a bit weak. Yeah, very weak. So, what do we think, guys? Oh, just, uh, I just—I mean, I already mentioned I, I liked Robert Downey Jr. Um, I thought Jared Harris did quite, quite a good job as Moriarty as well, and uh, poor uh, Numi Rapace—is it Numi? Numi Rapace? Yeah. I don't know. Um, who, like we said, her American film debut is kind of weak. I mean, her character was pointless. Uh, she doesn't really. She looks a bit lost, really, and her accent—it's like, what was up with that? Yeah, it's, it was terrible. Swedish, Romanian. Was it? I mean, she was meant she to be French. <laughs> she didn't sound even slightly French. <laughs> she sounded pretty sure she was from New Jersey oh, or something. It was a very odd mix, and mm. uh, I didn't quite quite grasp it. It was kind of odd. Mm. But, uh, yeah, but just too much slow motion, guy. Come on. Yeah. Give it up. I mean... And can we get past this whole um, fight scenes uh, action idea? Yeah. There's a confusion there between the difference between action and fight scenes. Action is the progression of movement or... Um, or, or plot for the story. Fight scenes are just fight scenes. Yeah. yeah. And quite often, and this film, and Sherlock, the first Sherlock. Are you talking about the Cossack, the Cossack thing? Yeah. It just it's goes a, on. It goes on. And plus also the chase in the woods as well. That, yeah. that's, it, it's mm. 
um, thinking that that fight scenes represent action and they don't. Fight scenes are a, a, are a lull in the story where we need to see two people confronting one another. Um, it's a, physical, a fight scene is a physical representation of conflict. Mm. So it's, I mean, it's, that's mm. essentially all it is. But in and of itself, a fight scene doesn't progress the story forward, that's right. which is what action does. Action is mm. where we see characters do things to get to the next stage. That's exactly it. So, uh, I give this zero point five looks. There is the for the scene with um, Holmes and Moriarty in his office. I did like the um, the intro for Moriarty yep. in the restaurant. Um, oh, where he dins the thing and they, all, the they thing. all leave. Yeah, and that, 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 that at least spoke to um, the, met, the threat level that Moriarty represented, mm. which no other point in the film did, which is a shame because the film should have been thr- should have been full of Moriarty is the top is the top gun here and Holmes is constantly behind the eight ball. Mm. However, the complete lack of script that seemed to be throughout the story, the underwhelming performances. Everyone was trying very hard, but they couldn't lift their... They, even Robert Downey Jr., found it, as you said, found it hard to lift his game. Mm-hmm. And the complete lack of mystery in a Sherlock Holmes story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sorry, but that's criminal. I but, don't want to see Holmes analysing how he can beat someone to death in a fight. Mm-hmm. I want to see Holmes putting together the clues. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. That's what he's trained himself for. Uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll give it one look for basically the same reasons. I mean, I... I Really like the scene in the in the restaurant. The scene, the first meeting between Moriarty and uh, Sherlock in his university office is, mm. is excellent. Um, it is it's just it's just cool to see, you know, Robert Downey Jr. playing this character that he loves so much mm. and like puts a lot of effort into it. Um, Jude Law, I thought, you know, did did well. It's awesome seeing Stephen Fry owning the part of Minecraft Holmes, mm. um, but the rest of it. Seriously, the the whistling during the first fight theme and it's oh, it's just bad. It's just too much slow motion. The forest scene is just a travesty of cinema, and uh, it's just it, an action film. It's just it's criminal that an action film is boring. Mm. If you're bored during an action film, then it, something's gone horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And when you're making an action film out of Sherlock Holmes, something mm. something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes should be a mystery film, mm. not an action film. If you're going to mix with the genre. At least do it properly. Yeah. So, nah, one look. I have to agree. I would, I would give the first one three looks because I found that at least entertaining, um, and the relationship between Holmes and Watson was quirky, but it worked well. It was different than the books, but it still worked well. This film, I'd give it one look. It was boring, and for all the reasons just stated. And I, I don't want to see Sherlock Holmes as a, a bumbling, kind of gets it right just by accident sort of person. I want to see him look at the clues and work it out. One of the mm. things that I really enjoyed about the stories is that he's got an analytical, scientific mind and he, he looks at things and analyzes it and works it out. It's not just a magic trick. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to give this uh, one and a half Lukes in total. It gets half a Luke for Mycroft Holmes and Stephen Fry's performance, which was really the standout. Half, I love you, Stephen. I give it half a point for the scene in the restaurant, and I give it half a point for the scene in Moriarty's office. So one and a half in total. So that was Popcorn Junkie, everybody. Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. Coming up next, The War Room. And the NPC crew's best of 2011. I can't wait!
welcome to the first War Room of 2012, where we'll be looking back at the best films, TV shows, books, comics, and games of 2011. Before we begin, remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is the War Room, and there will be no fighting. They'll <laughs> no see the big board. They'll see everything. They'll see the big board. <laughs> so let's begin with the NCP Cruise picks for best film of 2011, starting with David. Okay, cool. Uh, I chose Drive as my best film. Um, we didn't actually review it on the show itself, because it's not really a no culture type thing, but it stars Ryan Gosling, who's uh, my current man crush, and uh, uh, Albert Brooks, uh, the awesomeness that is Ron Perlman, um, and various other people. Brian Cranston. Yeah, that guy. It's excellent. It's uh, it really knocked it out of the park. It's, it's stylized. It, it's a visual treat. And uh, I just, I really, really enjoyed every second of watching it. It has a very, a very nice sort of Michael Mann sort of feel about mm-hmm. the way the city was portrayed. So it's, it's Los Angeles. Um, a lot of it's at night. Um, he has trouble sleeping. So uh, even when he's not on a job, he just sort of drives around. And it's just got this cool, um, it's actually a 2011 soundtrack, but it's made to sound like a, uh, 90, an 80s soundtrack. So it's got this really cool sort of 80s sort of vibe and it's really cool it's it's the character itself the city itself is a character and uh, great acting cool story and uh, an excellent character in the uh, the unnamed driver mm. yeah I mean I, I, I gave it five weeks it was just it was uh, top notch stuff which brings us to Crystal Crystal you apparently couldn't find a film this year that really grabbed you? No, I went through a list of what came out to see if I'd forgotten anything, but I can't think of a film this year that I would want to give the distinguished honour of saying it was my best film for 2011. Fair enough. So, 2011, not a good year for films for Crystal. No, not that's not to say there wasn't any good ones out there, I just didn't happen to catch them. Mm. Fair enough. Luke? Um, my top film for 2011 was The Whistleblower with Rachel Weisz. Yeah, I, I agree with Chris. Actually, there wasn't a lot of good films this year, and this one really stood out. It deals with um, a very topical, very important issue dealing with um, sex trafficking, but looking at the way that authority, in this case the UN, has um, gotten involved in the sex trafficking sex trafficking industry overseas. Um, I liked Rachel Weisz. I thought she did a, a great job. There's, you know, it's nice to actually see someone in movies this year doing some detective work of some description. Mm-hmm. There are some very harrowing scenes, but they're not in-your-face harrowing scenes. It's harrowing by implication. Does um, at any point during the film, because I haven't seen it, but does she actually make a phone call saying, I will find you, no. and I will kill you? No, no. she doesn't. She's not Liam Neeson. Well, Whistleblower is actually based on a true story, Mm. which just makes it that much more harrowing to watch. Mm. But it's a very very involving plot. Stuff um, actually happens, and Rachel Weisz tries to do, um, or Rachel Weisz's character, I should say, tries to do her utmost to topple the bad guys and expose the corruption. There's um, a nice moment um, involving David Strathian, and that's just because it's David Strathian, and he's always good to watch. Um, This was the top of the year for me. I actually came very close to choosing Whistleblower as well. It was a remarkable film and one that really does just sort of hit you right in the face. But uh, just to be different. Uh, actually, what did you choose? What did you choose? <laughs> just to be different, I chose a movie called 
The Guard with Brendan Gleeson, Don Cheadle, and Mark Strong. Um, it's about a... That Mark Strong, he's everywhere. That Mark Strong is everywhere. Good, Fortunately, this time around, he gets to be in a good film. <laughs> and so he gets that, to do something. Yeah, too. so that his excellent performance isn't wasted like it was in things like uh, Robin Hood. Green Lantern. <laughs> exactly right. Um, and it's basically a film about an uh, um, American agent and a local policeman. Uh, played by Brendan Gleeson, who are investigating drug trafficking. Yeah. But what I loved about this film was that it completely subverts pretty much all of the expectations you have for these kind of movies. Mm. It takes a completely different approach. There are some very funny moments in it, very moving moments in it. It's just a beautifully well-rounded script. And I some fantastic performances. I just love this film. Mm. Awesome. Any, any, any honourable mentions? Well, my honourable mention, obviously, would be The Whistleblower. And fun enough, my honourable mention would be The Guard. <laughs> it's very cool. My, my honourable mention was... Uh, I mean, it was by no means uh, genius, but uh, I quite liked Thor. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was and a lot of fun. Probably, as far as sort of nerd culture... It was the best of the, the sci-fi... Oh, yeah. the best of, it was, it best was the, best of the nerd of the, culture films. It was the best of the superhero films of the, yeah. of the year, I thought. Yeah, I've got to say, in terms of um, genre-related stuff this year... It was a pretty lax year. Pretty poor effort. Mm. Just no, but no effort mm. involved in scripting. They spent more time trying to create worlds and special effects. Green Lantern looked good, but the story wasn't great. Yeah. It wasn't great. It was no. terrible. It was Be honest here, Luke. You're the harshest critic in the world. Alright, I hate that script. I want all those people dead involved <laughs> in that script. Okay, maybe that's a little too extreme on the other side. Yeah. I should, uh, it should also be pointed out, though, that living in Australia, we actually haven't gotten a lot of the 2011 films yet, um, including films that have been getting a great amount of praise that we don't actually get until either January or February of this year, include things like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, uh, The Descendants, The Artist... Muppets. Even The Muppets. <laughs> I mean, there, there is a, a lot of films that just have not made it yet to Australia, so we, we could be looking back and saying, well, I really wish I'd been able to include, say, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is a film I know I'm very excited to see. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, we're just behind the times. So what can you do? All right, let's move on to best TV show of the year, starting with David. This is a this is an interesting category for me. Um, my original pick when I, when we first decided that we were going to do this, uh, my original pick was going to be American Horror Story. I'm not I'm not ashamed to say it. I've been downloading this show. It's excellent. It really, really, it's, it's, it was one of those few shows that I got, I was excited that I, mean, I had, you know, I had to wait a week to, to see the, the next episode and, uh, I really got into it and I enjoyed every, every second of it until the final episode. I mean, the, the, the thing about American Horror Story was that it was, uh, it never took itself seriously. So it was, it was a, a classy bit of trash <laughs> that, uh, that just had, just pure entertainment written all over it. It's just like, we just want to entertain you. Um, it, you know, it was creepy, but it was also cool. And then in the final episode, for some strange reason, they threw all that out the window and it just became trash. So it wasn't entertaining. It was... Australian viewers will be able to see that for themselves. It's currently showing on 11, I believe, and uh, uh, you're only a couple of episodes off the end. So um, those people watching it, stick with it, and then you'll be able to see exactly what I'm talking about. So with that being said, my pick for the year has to be Game of Thrones. Um, it's... Unlike American Horror Story, Game of Thrones was excellent in every episode, uh, including the final, and uh, was just top-notch entertainment from start to finish. It was 
magnificent performances, an excellent adaptation uh, that you know took the the best of the actual story itself, and uh, just made a thoroughly entertaining program. It's just that never bored and uh, kept you on the edge of the seat. Um, I watched I watched pretty much all of it during my honeymoon. <laughs> and, uh, That's romantic, right there. Well, when you got a two and a half hour ferry ride from three hours. Oh, yeah, it's from uh, North Island to South Island. Uh, yeah, the only time he stopped watching do... is when he felt ill. Yeah, you got <laughs> to do what you got to do. So, uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it's brilliant, brilliant stuff. So yeah, my top pick is uh, Game of Thrones. Crystal. My top pick TV for this year is QI. Ah, uh, Stephen Fry once again. <laughs> we uh, love you, Stephen. Uh, Stephen Fry love. Uh, we love Stephen Fry and we love Alan. Um, actually, as a birthday present to me, we actually went and saw, saw QI live this year uh, in Melbourne. Oh, uh, fantastic. Fantastic show. But QI for me is just, it's comedy, but it's also intelligent and it's often stuff that you you wouldn't... We only have one moon. I'm just pointing that out. <laughs> for all the QI watches. This, 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 old, this multiple moons rubbish. I'm with Alan 100%. <laughs> One. Anyway, move on. It, it, it's comedy, and it's intelligent comedy, but it's often stuff you wouldn't expect um, mm. and stuff that you, you didn't know. And, and that's the whole point of the show. You mm. think you know what something is, and the claxons go off. It, it manages to be unbelievably funny whilst also being incredibly educational at the same time. And it's a brilliant show. It is fantastic. I now know the difference awesome between a venomous steak and a poisonous steak. <laughs> Excellent. I'm, and I am trying to say snake. It's just coming up steak because I'm a little bit sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and my runner-up show would have to be um, Spicks and Specs. Just a little shout-out to Spicks and Specs. They finished up this year, finished up on a high note. It's probably a bit sad that they finished, but I it think they finished at a good time. They yeah. finished before they jumped the shark. Mm. Absolutely. Luke? Um, well, my topic for TV was, is the same as um, Dave's. I'm also a huge fan of Game of Thrones. Um, That's because you have taste, Luke. Yes. Yes, I'm aware of this. Um, <laughs> Um, for a lot of the reasons that um, uh, Dave has already said, one of the things I appreciated was that in, even though there is a Lord of the Rings influence, as there is with most most um, high concept fantasy, at no point did I sit there thinking, "Oh my God, this is just Lord of the Rings on TV." Yeah, it's a um, completely I, different take. Um, I saw parallel, direct parallels between Game of Thrones um, and the Tudors and The Wire. It attempts to show good people trying to do, trying very hard to overcome evil in a, in the face of great adversity, also trying to show the court intrigue side of fantasy as opposed to the high action magic based um, systems that most fantasy uses. Some top performances, particularly from Peter Dinklage, who ended up becoming my favourite character. Yeah, Peter, you're the man. Um, he was Tyrion Lannister, the, the dwarf. The imp. The imp, yep. He's a legend. Um, very, very funny, very well played. Some creepy moments. And, and the girl... And, uh, 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 Alia, uh, I believe her name was. Yep, just really well, really well, um, well written, well acted, well made. Um, it's another triumph for HBO, and long may it last. Um, my runner-up was Big Bang Theory season four, because Yay. you can't. I don't think you can top either. Wallowitz fantasize getting relationship advice from his um, imaginary versions of Starbuck and Sulu. 
and the sheer brilliance that was Sheldon's virtual presence. Well, I also went with uh, Game of Thrones for this year. I've watched the entire series in two days. I And only then because I started watching it late on the first day and actually had to sleep. But I, I could not stop watching this show. Just amazing stuff. Um, court intrigue, manipulations, um, some beautiful casting, wonderful scripting. Just a brilliant show all around. Uh, fantastic production designs, um, beautifully filmed. It's it's just one of those shows that comes along and you just think, wow, I'm so glad they made this show because I'm absolutely addicted to it now and I cannot wait for uh, the second season. So, Fantasy Sopranos. Absolutely. Just brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Let's move on to the best book of 2011. David. Uh, it was a pretty poor year for uh, new releases to 2011 in terms of books, uh, which I'm sure... Uh, Richo and Luke will agree with uh, but I'll let them say that during their sections um, so I actually don't have a new release as my best book for the year I actually have a re-release of King Newman's Anno Dracula it was, uh, it's a book that was released uh, many moons ago and uh, has been out of print for a substantial amount of time um, I am a massive fan of this book. I cannot stress that enough. It's uh, I was such a big fan that I paid an insane amount of money for a eBay version of the novel, um, which is um, it's right in front of me and it is in very poor condition. Um, but I, you know, I still paid uh, quite a bit of cash. And uh, but they re-released it in a spunky new uh, new format. It's uh, big thick volume it's got uh, supplemental materials uh, like a like a blu-ray or DVD it's you know special features and stuff like that and um, and they're all cool you know it, uh, deleted scenes and uh, altered endings and all sorts of cool stuff um, King Newman is uh, huge in the world of uh, horror fantasy literature and his knowledge of those genres is in my opinion unsurpassed and uh, he also uh, does uh, reviews and stuff for Empire and very writes his own, obviously writes his own books, but also writes his own um, sort of movie compilations and horror movies that you must see and stuff like that. So I'm a big fan. He's a very talented man. And uh, Anna Dracula is just brilliant, brilliant stuff. So when I found out that they were releasing it and the rest of the Anna Dracula Universe books, I actually did like a Snoopy happy dance and uh, <laughs> purchased, bought, you know, purchased off Amazon. Very, very excited, man. So thank you, Mr. Newman, for uh, re-releasing them, and uh, I will be purchasing every single one of them. Okay, Crystal. I found it hard to choose a book for this year because, given my schedule, I haven't had a lot of time to read, but I did manage to get one read called City of Ruins by one of, well, my all-time favourite author, Christine Catherine Rush. My all-time favourite living author, I should say, because um, nobody tops as a moth. This book is the second book in her Diving in the Wreck series, and basically um, the main character, whose name you never really find out, everyone just refers to her as Boss, she leads this team of people who dive wrecks, but not under the ocean, as you may think. It's, a, it's set far, far in the future, and they dive derelict space wrecks. Uh, the first book is... 
okay, it, it's, it, it's intriguing enough to keep reading. The second book is far, far better. Whenever I read a Christine Catherine Rush book, she never fails to go off in a direction that I don't expect. And I've never read any of her books or any of her stories that haven't gripped me from the start. I have a rule where if I get to 20 pages and I'm not enjoying a book, it gets chucked away. <laughs> this has never happened with one of her books. In fact, she on her website, chriswrites.com, every Monday, or every Monday in the States, it's, it's uh, Tuesday here, I think. Um, she has free fiction Monday and the last one she put on last week was set in her CV village universe which is a little it's a little village off the coast of Oregon um, and I, I read a novel set in that universe called Fantasy Life which is one of the best fantasy novels I've ever read it's set in sort of modern day society but with a fantasy element and it's she has a thing I don't know how she does it because you can't, can't really see it in the words but there's a feel to the story you, you you feel like you're there in Oregon and experiencing everything it's hard to describe unless you've read it but yeah so City in the Ruins is my favorite book for 2011 um I have to give a special mention to Neil Stevenson's Reindy which I'm still about 400 pages away from finishing um, it's not a short book. Not a short book. <laughs> That's okay. I think most people are 400 pages away from finishing any Neil, Neil Stevenson. <laughs> and could kill somebody with that book. It's 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 a, an easier read than his last effort. It's um, terrible. But the, the, the main character in this book uh, is a, a former Warcraft addict for, for, for um, reasons known to us. I really enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yes. know what you mean. NCP has its own it's a, Warcraft uh, addict. Who I, shall remain nameless. I'd be intrigued if one of the uh, NCP crew actually read this as well so we could swap stories about it because, um, as I say, I'm 400 pages away from the end of it. So I'm, I'm not sure whether some of it is just meandering. Um... I'll read the cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could make it a uh, the, the dust seem, jacket. There seems to be points of um, action that sort of happen just for the sake of it. Like she's the character who's in trouble almost escapes but then she doesn't then something else bad happens then something else bad happens and then something yeah. else bad happens so I'm waiting to so finish it and see if it forms a cohesive story and there was a real plot to the whole thing well there is obviously a plot but you know whether everything comes into play and, and forms some sort of conclusion or whether it's just you know yeah, yeah. stuff thrown in there but anyway that's my lot okay Luke I agree with um, Dave this was a poor year for um Science SF fantasy fiction, uh, the Hugo's, I think, are a decisive, um, uh, a, a pretty conclusive um, example of that. So my um, pick for this year is James Lee Burke's latest novel, Fe- Feast Day of Fools. Um, it's set in his, uh, his Asbury Holland um, series of books. He writes several, and I'm really more familiar with Dave Roberts' show, but it was his latest, so I picked it up this year. And it's basically um, what I've come to expect from James Lee Burke. Beautiful lyrical um, prose, interesting, flawed, yet still trying to be noble um, protagonists, psychologically scarred, intrinsically evil, yet still thoroughly um, riveting villains, and uh, a sort of a bleak yet ho- uh, hope for redemption quality to the nature of his world. The dichotomy between um, uh, an evil man thinking he's doing good and a good man trying to make up for the evils he's feel, he, he feels he has committed in his past. 
um, uh, riveting and reveal much about the nature of um, both their characters, whilst at the same time giving you a great insight into the conflict that's going on at the heart of the novel um, between the two. Top notch for me. In terms of the genre output, um, very hard pressed, and really the only one that I could say of this year that I enjoyed to any degree was probably 100,000 Kingdoms by N.K. Jemison, which I believe should have won this year's Hugo as opposed to Blackout. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, yeah. It's more interesting world, more interesting characters. It's not a great plot, it's not a great story, but it was a cut above the rest. And actually gets my choice for best book of 2011. To be fair, I've actually read some brilliant books this year. Um, unfortunately, none of them were actually written or released in 2011. <laughs> uh, through the through the dust jacket reviews, I've got to read books like Lord of Light, Foundation, uh, Ender's Game, just f- fantastic stuff, which made this year's Hugo Award nominee books just that much more disappointing because you know I was getting a chance to read the best of the best, and uh, unfortunately, this year the books just didn't just did not add up at no. all. There was just nothing there that really leapt out and said. This is a book that is Hugo-worthy and deserves to win this award. And, yeah, it was an entertaining novel. Nothing brilliant, but it, it, it kept my interest, which is certainly better than, you know, Blackout and All Clear, the books that actually won this year. Um, so, unfortunately, I have to give The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms the nod this year, which is really quite of a sad indictment on genre fiction for 2011. So let's move on to Best Comic of the Year. Beginning with David. Unlike uh, the books, uh, 2011 was a great year for comics. It was um, excellent year for comics. There was some just magnificent output, and I got to say, Image Comics, I think, uh, really took it in yeah. terms of in just in terms of company wide output. I um, mean, they just had some magnificent stuff come out. Um, it was a huge year for them too. One hit book after another. Huge is... uh, Green Wake. Who is Jake Ellis? Um, Morning glories. Morning glories. It's it, just some great stuff. They just uh, they just they pumped it out and uh, really took it to a whole new level. And you know, I you know, ten years ago, I would never have said that about Image. I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, unheard of. But they're yeah, really, they really they're really, they really stepped up their game this year and have just produced probably the most diverse and interesting line of books, certainly. Yeah. And uh, of course, 2011 also had the the event that was uh, DC's New Fifty Two, um, which weren't all great, but, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but had some good stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a, been a successful, more than anything else, a, a very yeah. successful relaunch for them. It's got people reading their books again in numbers that they haven't for years. Unheard of numbers. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's been once again another massive success for them. Um, I don't know. I was taken to a remote part of New Zealand and forced to read some of them. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hilarious day. <laughs> just watching this traipse through this, this pile of comics. You just, it's like, oh. It's like, and, is there any more? Here's another And of course, as uh, discussed on our previous episode as well, some really great Australian work came out this year as well. Yeah, so that brings me to uh, my pick, which is actually digested by Bobby Inn, Inn, um, from Just Out Comics, written and and drawn by Bobby, a collection of short stories with an overarching story called Oxygen that goes through each issue. There's uh, five issues at 
the moment, and it's brilliant. It is brilliant, brilliant stuff. Uh, you know, just is a classic sort of slice of life sort of stuff. It's you know recollections of his childhood, uh, rec- uh, him travelling the Melbourne train system, which I can relate to because I do it every day, and uh, some of the crazy stuff he hears <laughs> over, <laughs> over over here being said. Um, and uh, the story that just follows then oxygen the story that goes through each issue is just some crazy stuff I don't know what's going on there but I'm but the thing is I'm intrigued and I just I just need to know yeah I can't praise it enough I really cannot praise it enough it's just it's uh, you have to read it because I'll be very upset if you don't and uh, support local industry and mm-hmm. support Bobby and his endeavor it's uh, you don't it's want to make him upset <laughs> you wouldn't like me when I'm sick and angry. <laughs> <laughs> and just briefly, just um, some follow-up. Uh, I really enjoyed Witch Doctor by... Brandon Seifert and Lucas Kenner. It's uh, some great stuff. It's uh, It deals with uh, uh, is an alternate world uh, where um, this crazy doctor guy who is as uncannily similar to our good friend uh, Luke... So basically, if Luke existed in comic form, he would be this guy. <laughs> and uh, it's brief, brief stuff. It just brings a smile on my face every time. It's just um, he basically he wields Excalibur, and he's got these you know these, these companions. One of them's a monster called uh, Penny Penny Dreadful, and and uh, he basically just goes out and just solves crimes, supernatural sort of type stuff. And it's just as uh, I won't go into like full details, but it's um, it is awesome stuff. It's a five issue. Uh, miniseries and a one shot at the moment that are available and there's more to come apparently from uh, what they say at the end at the end of one of the issues so uh, check it out um, and also just really quickly uh, I really love what Recommenders, Rick Remender is currently doing on Uncanny X-Force the Dark Angel saga just finished brilliant stuff pick it up the only good thing Marvel's doing at the moment that's me Crystal my favourite comic for the year was McBlack One Shot, and I'm not just saying that because we had Jason Franks on the show. Um, I really enjoyed this. I've always enjoyed um, the Bugs Bunny episodes where that the artist messes about with the characters, and then <laughs> in the end, the characters get their own back on the artist. And this follows the same sort of thing, only a bit more graphic fashion, of course. Um, each section is a different take on a different video game and. It's just beautifully drawn. All the different artists have done a wonderful job, and and it just kept me interested from every page. And, and the ending, which I won't give away, is just really funny, really really funny. You, you don't want to mess with Rick Black. <laughs> also, an Australian comic, and uh, these these fine comics can be picked up from uh, All Star Comics, our favourite shop. Um, as well as you know all the other Melbourne-based comics, so classic comics, Minotaur. Check it out, Luke. Um, I've gone a bit more conventional with my um, comic book picks. Um, my number one pick is Batman. Um, so one of the relaunches from the New Fifty Two. Um, and as a Batman fan, um, I was thrilled by what I read um, in Batman Issue One. Greg Capullo's artwork, um, nice, evocative, and moody, but the real strength is Scott Snyder's writing. Got the characters, got a sense of the action, gave Batman a sense of mystery, gave his world a sense of mystery, gave him a mystery to solve, um, with some really nice um, writing thrown in for the mix. Um, I cannot be more excited to be reading Batman title at this point in time. 
Um, my second, my follow-up, um, is the last issue of the current tra- current incarnation of the Doom Patrol, issue 22, by Keith Giffen and Matthew Clark. Now, it should be pointed out that I really like it for one page alone. It's the last issue. The series had been cancelled. Flashpoint, the abomination of, a, of an event comic that came out in the middle of the year, was coming. The story... Up until that point, up until the point in Doom Patrol, is that the Doom Patrol, who have been based on Oolong Island, um, run by mean, mean Veronica Kale, um, <laughs> have been kicked off, and they are trying to get back onto the island to get their get some payback on Veronica Kale and take Oolong Island back so they can get their home back. In the meantime, Ambushbug, one of Keith Giffen's creations, has sensed there's something not quite right going on in the world outside, and Ambushbug is a character who's well aware that he's existing in a comic book universe. He breaks the fourth wall. Veronica Kale and the Descent of Ulan Island getting set to square off against the Doom Patrol. Both are making sides, oh yeah, we're going to beat you up, we're going to beat you up, yeah, we're going to win, we're going to win. Ambush Bug suddenly appears right beside Veronica Kale, whispers into her ear. And the dialogue goes to the effect of, what? Flash what? Don't they understand that we're in the middle of how many coffees per month? I don't know what a DDO is. Well, that makes perfect sense. Right, pack it up, and the fight stops dead set because she's been told that the series has been cancelled. Yeah, gotta read it. Doesn't quite sound sound quite the same if I'm describing it, but I remember just st- think, yep, that's a top moment of the year right there. Cancelled, stopping a fight because the issue, the series has been cancelled. <laughs> I give a propose to Keith Giffen. Well, I have to say, I actually found it incredibly difficult to pick a best comic this year. There's just uh, so right many huge. And, and that's, there's just so many good things going on. As we've already pointed out, Image is producing just one hit title after another. DC's relaunch has really sucked me in, and I'm still reading probably about 20 to 25 of the books, uh, which is probably the most I've been reading for years from DC. Um, BPRD wrapped up its big storyline that's been going on for years and years this year, and that was fantastic. Uh, we had Kirby Genesis which was another book that I just absolutely loved. Um, the Australian stuff, I thought uh, Walking to Japan was just awesome. Um, I loved Six Smiths. I mean, there's just so many good things out there right now that it's it's just a gold mine for comic fans at the moment. Mm. There's so much to choose from. But um, yeah, the, the book I went with uh, was actually the DC relaunch of Animal Man. This has been, without a doubt, my favourite book of the relaunch and just completely unexpected i had no real idea that i'd even that'd be buying the book after issue one i didn't really have any great expectation of anything you know it's been years since animal man had his own series and whilst that series was groundbreaking um and fantastic yeah i just thought wow why are they even relaunching animal man now this is not not going to be a success and in fact it's been the complete opposite reaction for me i i've just loved this book fantastic artwork beautiful characterization, a really intriguing story. There's ties to um, another one of my favourite books, Swamp Thing, but without actually having to read both books to understand what's going on. It's just that, that idea that it's a shared universe, but you don't need to read 50 titles a month to understand what's happening. And uh, yeah, so Animal Man, just a fantastic book and uh, definitely book of the year for me. So. So finally, we'll just wrap this one up with the best game of the year, starting with David. Well, I threw this one in because uh, I'm a game player, um, but unfortunately the, the rest of the crew aren't really, so I 
kind of dominated this <laughs> this one, but uh, so we'll make it brief, barely because my throat really hurts. Uh, game of the year for me was without doubt Arkham City from Rocksteady Games, which was uh, the follow-up to Arkham Asylum. Uh, it stars Luke's beloved Batman and uh, his efforts to solve some stuff happening in uh, this new uh, maximum prison that's being built around or in the back snack band in the middle of Gotham. Um, it's uh, crazy, fun, entertaining stuff. It's uh, The gameplay is you know, it's what's to be expected. It's excellent stuff, open world. Um, and it's just, it's got a cool, cool story. Uh, it marks the end of uh, Mark Hamill's run as the Joker. And uh, it's a shame because he does a great job. Um, yeah, well done, Mark. Yeah, and, For 20 uh, years, just about... You've entertained us with your version of the Joker. Brief, brief, brief stuff. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just it's a it's a cool, entertaining story, and it's pretty to watch too. It is. It's it's, <laughs> it's very pretty. So, so check it out, Crystal. Well, as mentioned, I'm not a game player, so the only game I've really played this year is Word with Friends on my iPhone, and now my new iPad that someone wonderful gave me for Christmas. Ah. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, the very game that got Alec Baldwin kicked off at F.Y. Tom. Um, so. Well, that's 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 got to be a, uh, a, a fa- favourite review for the game, isn't it? It's got to be an endorsement. Absolutely. Um, for those of you who don't know, Words with Friends is basically Scrabble for your iPhone, and you can play it with um, friends who also have the game on their iPhone slash iPad or even the dreaded Facebook it can be quite addictive, especially when you start beating people who have beaten you all this time. So, yeah, <laughs> excellent. My pick of the year, Luke. Um, I'm actually not a game player, um, so I'll defer to Dave when he says Arkham City. Um, I have played Arkham Asylum, the game from a couple of years ago. Thought that was really enjoyable, so I wouldn't be surprised if um, I enjoyed Arkham City. So I'll put my vote for that. Plus, it's a Batman game, and you would all therefore automatically love it. Okay, the, being uh, a Batman video game is by no means an assurance at all. <laughs> yeah, good point. Look at the comics he just talked about. Exactly. Well, I kind of cheated on this one because I didn't choose a computer game at all because I'm also not a computer game player. But I am a massive fan of the board game Talisman. Uh, it's a fantasy board game that uh, every few months they bring out little extra expansions and new boards and extra things to add to the game and this year's just been fantastic for that sort of stuff um the a company called uh, fantasy flight has taken over um production of the game and they've released several very entertaining additions to the game um and yeah it's just it's a fantastic game for anybody that loves fantasy i strongly recommend you check out Talisman, because it's the best board game I've ever played. And then what other game you got to get to roll for death? That's right. You get Death gets to move around the board in Talisman now, and God, it's fantastic. So check it out, everybody. So there you have it. That is our wrap-up for 2011. The best films, TV shows, books, comics, and games that we played over the last 12 months. Thanks, guys. So we'd love to hear what our loyal listeners out there thought of the last 12 months. Let us know what your best film, TV show, book, comic and game were for 2011. Coming up next, coming soon. 
So coming soon, well on January 12 we have basically all of the movies that were released in 2011 everywhere else in the world but somehow we in Australia don't get until the 12th. It's an exciting day for film lovers, it sees the release of The Muppets, the Academy Award soon to be nominated I'm sure movie The Descendants with George Clooney, uh, David Finch's remake of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Martin Scorsese's bizarrely family friendly movie Hugo. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what's up with that, but damn, does it look cool. It does look pretty great. Mm. And the latest Studio Ghibli offering of Arietti, which also looks kind of cool. Mm. It does. So we're looking for... Studio Ghibli still eating. Yeah. So, I've got to say, January 12th, I'm looking forward to it. What about oh, you guys? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big day. Mm. Muppet, video. Muppets, Hugo, Arietti. Yeah, those are my picks for that day. Yeah. Seriously, I, I'm willing to see every film you just mentioned. I mean, not on the same day, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to sit through every single one of those. That's fair enough. And January 19, it's certainly a big day for me because I am so excited about the, finally, the release of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Oh, yes. That... That's, that's one I've been waiting for for at least three months now. Uh, sci-fi action film, The Darkest Hour. I don't really know anything about that. Uh Emil Hirsch. It's about a group of kids, American kids in Moscow when aliens invade the planet and uh, they live off electricity so everything goes dark. Okay, interesting. Looks pretty, looks pretty balls. Yeah, and it sounds not particularly interesting. Yeah, doesn't look very good. We also have Journey to the Mysterious Island with sign on the dotted line, the rock Dwayne Johnson. I got bills to pay Dwayne Johnson. I got bills to pay Dwayne Johnson. But, uh, I just love the fact that it's, it's actually a sequel to Journey to the Centre of the Earth yet they don't they feel the need to just call it to truncate the name so much that basically now it's just called Journey Two. Mm. <laughs> That's laziness right there. And also the much hyped Young Adult, which is written by Diablo Cody, mm. which looks interesting. Yeah, it looks it looks okay. It's Charlize Theron, directed by Jason Reitman. I'm a huge fan of Juno, but I don't know. I mean, this the hype is a bit out of control. Look, I'd possibly go be going to see it on the day if it wasn't for the fact that Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is out. And you cannot stop me from getting to that movie. It does look awesome. As usual, NCP's favourite cinema, the Astar, has a great selection of films showing in the next two weeks. Including How to Stuff a Wild Bikini on January 13th. And the classic The Princess Bride on the 16th. Uh, God, Princess Bride. does anybody want a peanut? Inconceivable. <laughs> my yes, name we... is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. As you can tell, we're pretty big fans here at NCP. Well, actually, there's one of the crew who is not a big fan. Yeah, but Bless we don't Fima. mention that. But please check out the full listing for the Astor Cinema at www.astortheatre.net.au. I'm sure you'll find something there that you'll want to see. Yeah, they got their new website up. It looks pretty cool. It's looking good, yep. Yeah. And that's coming soon for the next two weeks. There's a couple of uh, miscellaneous things we just want to discuss before the end of the episode, so I'll pass you back to David. Dave, take it away. Thanks, man. Uh, please excuse the... Uh, deep, voice, sultry voice. Deep, sultry voice. I've seen a very white thing yeah. going on there. I just want to uh, give a shout-out to uh, some World of Warcraft uh, peeps. Um, as uh, as has been mentioned, I am a World of Warcraft uh Junkie. And uh, over the Christmas break, I managed to play a substantial amount when I wasn't, you know, lying in bed moaning in agony. 
I'm glad you put in agony on the end there. <laughs> and, uh, I've joined a new guild called Echelon. Uh, they're very cool. Uh, great bunch, bunch of people. And uh, I did meet uh, one particular person in one of our dungeon groups. Uh, her name is Hurling Fire. Uh, she's from the Oldham server. Uh, when I mentioned the podcast on the website, she got very excited. She sounds like a cool, cool girl. She's a... Uh, She's actually a mum, so kids play, she plays, great stuff. So, Hurling Fire, this one's for you. I also want to mention that uh, in episodes uh, 13 and 14, uh, we had a competition to rate and review us on iTunes for a chance to win a iTunes voucher. Uh, so that competition obviously closed, uh, and congrats again to the winner. So despite my title of nerd, uh, I was unaware that on iTunes you can have reviews from different regions of the world. So whenever I log into iTunes, I log into the Australian store, uh, which makes sense since I'm in Australia. Uh, but you can also have uh, different stores for different regions. Uh, now, for some strange reason, uh, if somebody from the States uh, does a review and they're logged into the States iTunes, then the review goes under the the States. It's, it's kind of strange. We actually did talk to Apple about this problem that we can't see all of our reviews for for our podcast, and Apple said that is correct. You can only see your own region's reviews. Um, and they suggested that we get our family and friends to send feedback to iTunes to say we want to be able to see all the reviews for the same podcast. So if you want, guys want to do that, that'd be awesome. They will have actually uh, rate and reviews on the American. Uh, iTunes for us that we didn't even know existed. Uh, that's very disappointing. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, it meant that because we didn't know they existed, they weren't included in the competition. And that is a real shame because uh, they're really good. So, as a special thing, uh, we're actually going to read them out. Now, I'm not going to because this is killing me. Uh, so, uh, I'll actually get the crew here to read them out for me. And, uh, yeah, just really thanks. Um, what good is a crew if we can't do your bidding? <laughs> that's, that's right um, so I'm sorry that they weren't included in the competition uh, but uh, uh, it really means a lot to us that you did uh, review us so uh, thank you and uh, keep listening so we'll start off with uh, the first one with Young Look this is entitled Great Dust Jacket Section by Steve-L the Nerd Culture Podcast is a cool podcast the guys are new to the podcasting world and you get that with the first few casts with time, these guys should evolve into a nice, tight unit. The book reviews are great going over some classic sci-fi books that would have been lost to me. I like the top five geeky topics. More of that, please. Give these guys a go. Well, Steele, I've got to say, I like your taste. <laughs> Anybody that praises Dust Jacket gets the thumbs up from me. That's why I didn't give you that give you that one to read, because it just would have been out of control. And that's fair enough. Uh, thank you very much, Steele, and thanks for taking the time to written uh, reviewers. Excellent review. Our next reviewer is Subscribed. Subscribed says, Great work, guys. My main interest is in the film, and the reviews so far have been spot on. If you'd keep the show to under an hour, even better. Looking forward to episode 14. Well, thank you, Subscribed. Oh, thanks, Subscribed. Uh, awesome. And we hope you enjoyed episode 14. <laughs> and we're doing our best to keep these under an hour as well. It's hard, though, because we say so much good stuff. <laughs> the third review is entitled Thanks by Beach Bum 2. 
So I take it here as if a dude. Beach Bum 2 says, great work, guys and gals. I like he said it, gals, plural. <laughs> yeah, he's referring to David there. <laughs> I was about to say he's referring to Luke, but you beat me to it. That's all right. That's because I'm on the ball and you're sick. Sorry. And to complete the thing, you know, they're obviously referring to Richard, so. So it goes on, to, or she goes on to say, my eldest enjoys the game reviews and I'm looking forward to more movie reviews. Not all the British are boring. Go. Not too sure what that means, but uh, thank you very much. Are you, are you a British person logging in under the US banner? I would Ooh. say that it's a British person living in the US, maybe. Maybe on the surf coast. Of course, my maybe big question working. is if you're Beach Bum 2, who is Beach Bum 1? Maybe his wife. These are our, our detective skills at work. <laughs> see, so you, you can, can see why we didn't write the shock. Sure. <laughs> Although we would have done a better job. <laughs> so thank you, Beach Bum 2. Thanks to all three of you. Uh, excellent and uh bring them on so and again it's just to take the opportunity to thank uh the australian reviews that we that we had uh, before and uh during the competition and uh keep them coming uh we love every piece of feedback that we get positive negative miscellaneous <laughs> whatever the case may be uh we read them all and uh uh it really is a highlight highlight of my day open up outlook and get some feedback in there it's, it's great great stuff so with that in mind, you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or you can post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or you can tweet us at at nerdculturepodcast or leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast as well. And, as Crystal said earlier, let iTunes know that it's kind of bizarre that we can't actually get all of the reviews for our podcast uh, from all around the world, because we love hearing from all of you. Yeah, I, did, I didn't even bother going to all the other regions of the world, because, you know, there's like a hundred of them or something. So I was just like, whoa, there's, there's maybe reviews out there that we didn't even know about. Exactly. Hey, if you've reviewed us and we don't know about it, let us know. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a cool idea. If you have reviewed us and we haven't mentioned it, and you're from, you know... Botswana or something, then please let us know. Yeah, email us. That email again was feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. Let us know that you're out there and that iTunes has ripped you off. So that's it for episode 15 of Nerd Culture Podcast. Uh, Join us next episode for a dust jacket where we look at H.G. Wells' classic novel War of the Worlds. And then follow that up with a war room where we discuss is War of the Worlds the most influential science fiction novel in history? So this is Richo wrapping up his control <laughs> of No Culture Podcast. Uh, thank you again for the team, David. Yo, you giddy yo. Crystal. Yay. And Luke. Farewell, culturalites. See you next time, guys. Where are the strepsils? <laughs>
They like actually hold Parliament. Have you seen Parliament of Elves. No, it's a um. Hoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>